Hi, and welcome to Sustainability Explored. Every week, this podcast navigates a new topic through interviews with the most disruptive minds in sustainability, turning their experiences working behind the scenes into actionable advice you can apply in your life, no matter your background. My name is Anna. I am an environmentalist, sustainability consultant, and the host of this very show. Today, we all are in for a treat. With me today, I have Noreen Kam, a fascinating, amazing lady, a founder of Lab Global Circular Asset Management Firm based in Australia. We will learn about her journey of hero, hero journey. We will learn as well the difference between the assets and liability. And most importantly, how the business model of circular asset management works. Very excited she joins us today at Sustainability Explored and I can't wait to start our interview. But before we jump into our chat, you can use this moment to subscribe to this channel, to this podcast, to always be one step ahead with the sustainability news across countries and industries. All right, if you're ready, let's jump right into it. Hi, Noreen, how are you? Very good to see you. Hi, Anna, it's so lovely to connect with you. Super happy to have you on Sustainability Explored. I really loved our pre-conversation, pre-podcast conversation. And I know I envy our listeners already. I envy them because they will learn so much interesting information today and hopefully get some insights to rethink their life in in a variety of aspects. Circular asset management. Let's start with the definitions. What's the asset for anyone who doesn't know? Sure. So we are a company called Loop Global and we focus on circular asset management. So for us, an asset is something defined within an organization that's on their balance sheet that they're going to purchase in terms of their capital expenditure as equipment that they're going to depreciate over time. So it's not something that is in their standard operational costs, but it's an investment into this asset that they put in to their capex plans, and then they're going to get real value out of it. So over a long period of time. Mm -hmm. If we are to give examples, a house, a car, a skirt, what out of that is an asset and what's a liability? Okay, good question. So I think in terms of a consumer sense, which we don't really work in the consumer world, we really work within businesses. So for us, our definition of assets are more the portable plug and play assets that you're going to invest in. It's not really the property, but if you want to apply the mindset, which I think there's a lot of takeaways for all of your listeners today in terms of adopting what for us really we look at prolonging the life cycle of assets. So anything that is considered property or a material asset can be considered an asset. And I think people can take away a lot of the key points in the discussion today around the prolonging the life cycle of it and not just having this disposal mindset, which is our real focus at Loop, which is creating a goal towards circular economies through the prolonging of the life cycle of assets. What kind of assets do you focus on at Loop Global? Sure. So my background, um, I used to work at a, like 
your laboratory, a food testing laboratory. So we, by default, just ended up working with generic laboratory equipment and then also some very highly specialised equipment. But then more and more we're branching out into other industries. So we've got some manufacturing equipment, bulk manufacturing equipment from conveyors and so forth to some very generic lab equipment such as freezers and uh, fridges that are commercial, industrial grade that then can also be applied to other industries. We've got items such as gas generators. So, But then we've got very specialised units such as UPLCs or stuff to do with really high grade gas chromatography or really like PCR technology. We were talking about that yesterday in terms of the coded testing. So we really focus on sort of these high value or high volume portable plug and play assets that is easy for us to relocate. I know about your uh, prior experience in supply chain management and things like that. What drove you? What motivated you to open Loop? I know you have some crazy stories to tell. <laughs> okay, so, um, all right. So I used to, my background is supply chain and procurement and logistics, but I used to run a transport company before my life at Loop and I started Loop. And what I noticed in terms of um, our trucks, so we had a transport company in Victoria that did mainly road transport. Um, and we set it up so that we had a third-party logistics service we could onboard Australia-wide and send internationally for our clients. But what I noticed in the first six months of me joining the operation was that our trucks would go out at about 50% capacity. And I thought, how can we leverage this use, this spare capacity, but not just purely for profits? And so I did a lot of research and I found this amazing organisation called Community Support Frankston. They are the second largest agency of its kind in uh, the state of Victoria in Australia. Um, they help 13,000 homeless and disadvantaged every year. We partnered with them and I joined their board and we reached out to our customer network when I was at the transport company. We had about 2,000 customers, all businesses. And we said to them, anyone can donate any non-perishable food, toiletries, anything the homeless or disadvantaged could use. And we'd pick it up as part of their standard deliveries for free because we're already going there. Um, we would store it in our warehouse for free because we had the space and then we'd deliver it to the charity as and when they needed it. And what was remarkable was in the first year of um, establishing that, we collected over 20 tonnes worth of goods donated to the charity. But the most amazing thing was that these businesses, something as simple as if a bird flew into a warehouse and did a shit on a carton, the outside of the carton would be have just a little you know, marking on it, but the inside content, it would go to landfill just because the external shipper was marked. And it just absolutely broke my heart and it just made me think there's actually so much more we could do. We could actually expand this on a much wider scale. And that planted the seeds for me to go, it's all about a network, firstly, and collaboration because no independent company can do this on their own. We're, we're all part of a one planet. We're all part of an ecosystem and collaboration. So how could we do this on a much larger scale? I really believe if we shoot for the stars, we might just hit the moon. So when I left the transport company in 2017, I set Loop up and launched Loop at the end of 2017 in November. And when we first went to market, I just went, okay, let's see what sort of waste is out there, what sort of corporate waste. And we were talking to all different types of businesses. So we had, we were dealing with 
13 and a half thousand tons of bread waste nationally across Australia, for example, to uh, pallet waste, to plastic waste, to car rims, to labels, backing paper. So the variety of waste was just so enormous. And everyone was like, deal with it. Okay, this is something that they don't want to think about. Just deal with it. It's, so they looked at you as a garbage disposal and it, it's, it's waste, right? So they didn't look at any value associated with that. And we were just switching and changing. And I thought for the first six months, this isn't sustainable. Like we can't just run around. One second we're dealing with plastic. One second we're dealing with pallets. One second we're dealing with car rims, tyres. So whilst we worked with these organisations and it was a massive learning curve in the first six months, um, I went back to my supply chain and procurement background and went, okay, as a procurement manager, what did we have visibility in and wasn't so reactive in terms of waste, in terms of OPEX costs, operational costs at the end of the supply chain? And what could we proactively manage in a strategic way? And it was capital equipment, assets because you know that you're going to budget for it. You know if you're going to have R&D expenditure, if you know you're going to increase your operations or you need to mitigate against risk because you need backup equipment or anything, you need to plan for this. So you've got a capital equipment budget, normally one year in advance, and you know, okay, and, and plan for it within your organisation. So instead of being reactive, we shift the focus. And because CapEx is... It's, a, it's an investment, it's an asset, as you say, on the, on the P&L, on your balance sheet, it's an asset, not a liability. So I thought, okay, and we completely pivoted at that stage after the first six months and then focused entirely on assets and changed this entire framework around creating a network around the asset life cycle. Mm-hmm. There is also a sort of a negative connotation around waste, So it doesn't look good on the company's ESG reports and other reports like, oh, we have this much waste disposed of. Is it something the companies want to address with you? Do they proactively come to you and say, hey, we have this equipment we are no longer using to the fullest capacity? So do do they proactively reach out to you, please do something? And then how does it work? Sure. So everything that we've done, we've grown organically completely. So it's just through word of mouth at this point. And then now we're kind of going out into the market a lot more and doing webinars and and contacting people more proactively. But everything so far has been through word of mouth and referrals and because of my existing network within um, the laboratory sector. But as our name gets more and more well known, people know to contact us, especially within the laboratory niche um, of the equipment. And a lot of these assets have got life cycles, minimum 12, 15 plus years. You know, at the old laboratory I was working at, there was an order club that was running since 1960 and it was still running. And some of this older equipment is built so robust, you know, just like older homes, they don't build them how they used to, you know, to really set, because now it's almost planned obsolescent in the design process so that manufacturers can you know we really we want to partner with the OEMs and change this mindset but you know like your mobile phones is a classic example is that it's it's built for a two-year lifespan so they can update the technology so you know instead of having these mobile phones that we need to completely replace there's a lot of really innovative ideas out there where you could have switchable components that are modular so you just send back the the hard the motherboard or whatever and then it like all computers and that's like the circular computing example that i'm going to show you shortly 
But um, there's components that we can really plan so that in the, in the design stage where 80% of the waste materials are actually formed in that stage, they can actually plan for that early on. Right, right. For the listeners, I noticed you used OEM uh, abbreviation. What's that? So OEM is the original equipment manufacturer. So the loop model is we're all about prolonging the life cycle of the assets. It's all about collaboration. And more so than anything, we're a network around the key stakeholders in that life cycle of the asset. So the OEM, which is the original equipment manufacturers, is the first stakeholder in the life cycle of the asset because they design that asset. And under the loop model, we've got the OEMs, we try to engage them, and then the buyers. So under a traditional linear model, you just have the OEM, the buyer, and then they'd use the asset. And then when they need to replace that equipment, they would either store it if they've got space for it, they would ask the OEM whether they can take it back. In the majority of the cases, OEMs won't take it back. And then the majority of cases that we've seen in the field, the equipment actually ends up in landfill, unfortunately. So instead of this, what we've enabled is creating this network so that we've got service partners as well. So where the OEM doesn't want to support that asset in its subsequent lives, so if they, they might be focused more on the releasing the new model. Um, they might not have the capacity to be able to service that equipment in, in its second life or anything. We're trying to build a network of service partners to support that. So we almost look at the service partners as a critical lifeline, almost like a doctor. So let's see the asset um, going into landfill as going into the grave, all right? The service partner is like a doctor that is the ER that's gonna keep that asset out of its grave, in, out of its premature grave and keep it in life, in its life cycle for longer. So we really see the service partners as a, as a critical lifeline with regards to the extension of that life cycle. And then we've got sellers. So the sellers is a whole new concept which we're trying to change that mindset within the buyer's mentality so that they do have a seller's mentality, which then as soon as they procure that asset, they're considering the total cost of ownership of that entire asset life for it. Think of it in terms of even from a consumer perspective, if you've got a car and under a car, you might have a car leasing program or you've got a chattel mortgage with your company where normally it's a three year leasing program or chattel mortgage with the company because then they replace it. But the car's gonna go for much longer than three years. So if you know when you're, when you're purchasing that car or when you're leasing that car in that three year cycle, to, in order to maximize the life of that car and also to maximize the value of that car when you're finished using it, but it's still got a lot of life left in it, you're gonna make sure it's got the really robust maintenance records, it's gonna be serviced regular, regularly, you're gonna be in touch with the OEM to make sure you've got the manufacturer of parts and consumables that go with that. So we're trying to create that mindset. So people think of that in terms of the car so that then they can maximize the value when they resell it. But people aren't thinking about that in terms of their operations and they don't think of that in terms of their assets generally. So we're trying to create that mindset now. Right, so it really to change the behavior first, the mindset has to change from owning a subject, an object, to really, I don't even know how to frame it, to be renting it in a way? 
So I believe just on a personal level, like ownership is a, is an illusion. So we come to this world with absolutely nothing. We're going to leave the world with nothing. Um, and everything belongs to the planet. Like everything, you know, we even, we belong to the planet. We've got so much of this segregation mindset. I think it's very ego based and very, not very collaborative in terms of the approach. And I think we really need to shift that. And, you know, I really don't believe in competition. I almost think, oh, if we're competing, you know, we're part of one planet. If you look at the planet as our body, if you say we're competing, it's almost like the right hand competing against the left hand. And we're, it's, we've got enough abundance for everyone. And if we look after everyone and have an ecosystem that works synergistically and in harmony with each other, there's more than enough that can be created for all. So I think one of the key focuses, for example, with Loop is not only extending that life cycle of that asset, but it's, it's similar to why I've, we established Loop to begin with. It's these assets that would normally end up in landfill, um, such as, you know, the, those boxes that would have ended up in landfill when they had <laughs> the, a marking on the outside. Um, they can go to, uh, from the developed world to developing countries to enable greater access to resources. And the, this isn't sort of just waste material. You know, we've got, when we first set up and we really focused on the assets in the first year, 60% of our asset base was actually under three years old. So we're not talking about really, really old assets. We're not talking about things that people are just wasting. You know, there's so many examples of organisations that um, they could have made the incorrect capital equipment decisions. We've got examples where laboratories were set up, all this capex was, was spent on it. And then on day one of operations, they put the labour in and they didn't have the testing volume. So they still outsourced the testing and then all the equipment went into shipping containers. Um, we've got examples where hundreds of thousands of dollars were set up, set up the laboratory in the first week of operation. Another laboratory bought it over, closed down the, the operation. So we, we've got, you know, equipment that was just validated pretty much in the first week of never actually used for testing and then pretty much just sitting there in storage because it wasn't in, in use for this. So we consider any equipment that hasn't been utilised to the fullness of their life cycle as underutilised. How do original equipment manufacturers view the system and even your existence and your business model? Do they feel threatened, attacked? Maybe they attack you in return? Uh, no, like we, we need them to cooperate and we're here to support them so what's what's been it's been a very mixed bag because it depends on the mindset um, if we look at the uptake of the circular economy just globally we've gone backwards so we're currently 8.6 percent of the world is circular two years ago it was 9.1 percent so we're actually on a backwards trajectory so the oems are such a critical player in this and we've been very fortunate that um after we set up the assets and the network we were able to partner with a really really good OEM called Peak Scientific. Um, they do uh, nitrogen and hydrogen gas generators. They were very aligned with our values in terms of environmental factors. So they replace um, the nitrogen or hydrogen cylinders. Uh, we partner with them in Oceana. And because to replace them with the on-site generator, you're taking away that logistics cost, the dangerous goods component of, of the gas and so forth. So they focus primarily on the life sciences market where the Therapeutic Goods Administration have a standard depreciation cycle of five to seven years because it's normally maybe life affecting. It's, you know, really high grade sort of pharmaceutical. 
But these generators have a life cycle of 12 to 15 plus years easily. So one of the benefits is they can focus on their core and still sell into that market, whereas we're um, en enabling access to the underutilized generators to maximize the life cycle. And we're going into other industries such as food and beverage, industrial applications, where the return on investment for a brand new generator might not have been um, as attractive, but then an underutilized one, generally, especially based on the expenditure and the usage, you can get a return on investment in under two years. So for the um, OEM in this case, they're still able to supply the consumables, they're still able to supply the parts and service that equipment. So they're maintaining that, they're breaking into new markets as well that they normally weren't focused on as their core. And then they're also keeping competitors out of the market and expanding their brand. So there's a lot of benefits um, and we've got other OEM partners that are more behind the scenes. It's not such a formal agreement, but where they might have specific equipment that they'll take back. So they've got a remanufacturing for certain niche pieces of equipment because they know there's a good market for it, but because they really value what we're able to offer as well. We get a lot of referrals through other OEMs such as that. And then they will still ensure that they're able to service that equipment for all of the benefits that I've just mentioned about before we peak. So with a very short-sighted view um, of the OEMs and sometimes the uptake because we're only under 10% still within that circular mindset is they just want to sell the new equipment. We're competitors. But that isn't sustainable way of thinking. And that's the linear model of how we, and it's not, we can't keep operating like that. So I think gradually as, the, as greater uh, uptake towards that circular view comes more and more OEMs will just come on board. Mm -hmm. Could you walk me through the system? How does it work? How do you, you know in the first place that some equipment wants to be traveled <laughs> wants to travel to some other lab to let's take this example how do these parties connect the giver and the recipient what's your role in the middle what's the warehouse where is it all of that so the how, how the system works so essentially this is our process and a lot of people ask us what loop lup um, stands for and it's love your planet um, so Essentially how the process works is high value and high volume depreciating assets are registered into our circular asset database. Now our assets that are available are exclusive to Loop as well. So as a result, other industries and developing nations can access this needed equipment normally out of their reach. Landfill and capital loss is minimized and those underutilized assets are recirculated back into the Loop to optimize the fullness of their life cycle, fulfilling our mission towards a sustainable planet. Now, the buyers and the sellers always remain confidential under the loop model, right? So one of the, my experiences working in procurement in supply chain is that there's a big shame factor. So there's a lot of confidentiality related to CapEx as well. So when you're purchasing new equipment, you don't really want that visibility out there. And then if you're going to be disposing of any equipment or any of the waste material, it's a big shame factor. So you don't want to be advertising that, or if you're closing down your lab, you don't want your competitors to know that you're closing down, for example. So Loop enables that anonymity and enables that. So we're not, we're not a marketplace. We work very long-term with our clients. So rather than the traditional life cycle of an asset, which is this is the majority of what the life cycle of assets we see in the linear model is, um, they'll procure the asset, they'll use it when they want to upgrade the equipment. They don't even think about the old equipment. 
They go put their CapEx in for the new equipment, they speak to the OEM, then at the time of procuring the new equipment, they'll say, can you take this old piece of equipment back? And the OEM in the majority of cases will say, no, they can't. If they've got space, the equipment will go on the side and be stored for however long they can store it. So that takes up space and as well. Um, and then they'll end up paying for disposal and landfill costs because by then the equipment's obsolete and so forth. Mm -hmm. So we completely change that mindset and we partner with our clients as soon as they procure that equipment and they know they're going to depreciate it, even if it's five years or six years down the track, we partner with them straight away and look at them with their depreciation cycle. And we're already matching up the capex for the buyers before they're ever going to need to get rid of that. So we work really proactively with them. So it takes away all that storage. It takes away the disposal costs and it maximizes that return. And because we're in there with them and strategically partnering with them, straight away they know we want to make sure we've got maintenance records because you're going to ma maximize the value of it straight away the optimization of how they handle and manage that equipment is optimized from the very start because they're thinking about that and the tco the total cost of ownership from the very start um and and that's the beauty of the model is that we partner with them long term and it's not a transaction it's mm -hmm. a strategic partnership how do you know, how do you find those who will want that equipment? So the recipient part. It's a variety of factors. So through our organic networks and different industries. So what we've found, for example, is through our market research and talking to all of these clients in various industries, we know, for example, that a lot of equipment that comes from those TGA approved labs that are um, very high end, they need to depreciate them within a certain time frame. But then food grade labs, they might use it to the fullness of their life cycle. So they're open to procuring underutilized. So we don't like the word second hand, but it's not just, it's not fully utilized. So, you know, there's, there might be food grade labs that are open to that. It could, it could be coming from life sciences, from human affecting, like, so from the, the highest grade, then, but then could go to animals, right? So it could go into the veterinary sector, for example. It could, so there's a lot of different tiers and then industrial is another tier even within like the food pyramid in terms of where food waste can go, there's almost like a hierarchy of where you can send food waste, for example, that, you know, it goes to animals first and then it could go to energy and then it can go to fertilizer, for example. So there's, there's almost a hierarchy where we've been able to define that within the asset categories that we look at. Okay. And then what's the end of the life cycle? At the moment, just, due to sheer capacity, we can only accept assets that are in good working order just currently. But we have set up the entire model so that we can actually take longer term as our network grows, as we've got the additional capacity, assets that aren't in working condition as well, because that's the utilization of the spare parts. So we've got some equipment that the OEMs now, we know no longer support, but the consumables, they still supply the consumables for it, but they won't do the preventative maintenance plan, for example. And we've, we've got a few of these same pieces of equipment that we're able to bundle together. So even though they're working now, we're able to offer them so that you've got the second or third machine as contingencies, and then you can use them as spare parts as well. And that's the importance of the service partners coming into it because you know, it might be a startup laboratory, it might be one in a, in a developing country, it might be somewhere that can't afford the brand new technology, but then they can still get access to the same level of testing. And, and the, some of this technology, it's not that old and it, it might be just be a minor upgrade for the new version, it's just the OEM wants to focus on the new version. But 
the older equipment is still working. The older model is still working. So we're, we're trying to prolong that to not end up in landfill. I know that currently you are focused only on the Australian market, uh, lab equipment within Australian market. What's in the plan? So when we launched originally, um, and as I said, like I love to shoot for the stars and land on the moon. Um, so we've got uh, people that are working uh, with us across three continents now. So we always, the plan is definitely to go, it's always been global focus um, with my background also with international freight and supply chain. It was always to be able to also ship equipment from developed world to developing countries. We also split the world into three market segments. So we had um, EMEA, Europe, Middle East, Africa, Asia Pacific and the Americas. So it was always, and you've got a developed part and then the developing part within each of those sectors as well. So we wanted to kind of keep it within those regions. Unfortunately, because of the impact of the pandemic, uh, whilst we were talking to global companies at first and we were re really looking at that, now we've had to kind of switch again and pivot the strategy so we're more Australian focused because that was where our head office is and the majority of our assets now. Um, we want to see what happens with the pandemic and as soon as sort of borders, international borders open up again because even air freight is very challenging in the current circumstances because some of our, our assets, you know, they're a few hundred thousand dollars for one piece of equipment. It could be air freighted if they needed it, you know, then and there. So it just makes it a lot simpler with the supply chains open again. So uh, definitely our longer term view is to grow again. But what's amazing is that we're such a global world and connected world now. A lot of the organisations that we work with, they are global companies. And starting with the Australian offices, almost like a guinea pig for the international operations. So once everything is flowing and everything opens up again, we're hoping to then go into different markets quite organically through who we're already working with in Australia into their global companies and then back into those overseas markets. The way I see it, the model can be replicated on basically anything. Anything can be optimized. I mean, even the wardrobe, you, I don't know, put it in the system on a certain website connecting owners of stuff with those who want it for a while and then you know, sharing economy at its best. Do you think of expanding your model and going from lab equipment to different areas as well? Definitely. So we never just wanted to focus on lab equipment. It's just what we've started with. But we want to focus more on the high value sort of assets because what we find is high volume and low value people don't care about it and they don't look after it as much. And then the logistics cost normally offsets it. And because of what's happening internationally as well, the price of freight is also kind of increasing as well because it, instead of going to a globalised world, it, we're more now focused much more nationally across the world because of the impact of um, the pandemic. But I think that there's a huge amount of opportunity. Um, we're breaking into, we're in manufacturing now, for example. So there's not just lab equipment that we're working on. We, we're doing bespoke consulting projects, for example, with this bulk bag manufacturer with conveyors, systems and cranes. And in general, though, we like to work with more the portable plug and play assets just because we don't have the capacity to deal with, like I was saying when we first went to market, you know, pallets to something else, to something else completely because you need to kind of break into industry by industry segment because you've got that market then and you've got the consumer base sort of there within each of those market segments. So we, we will always kind of be B2B within the loop network. 
I should mention as well that Loop Global, we're part of the ShareTree group of social enterprises. So ShareTree is a charity and ShareTree um, has a, a philosophy where all the ShareTree social enterprises, 50% of the profits needs to go to a charity. So our long-term mission once we're sustainable, because we're still a startup, is that we're going to set up the Loop Foundation. So whilst Loop Global's mission is to minimise landfill and to enable greater access to resources through these high-value assets, Loop Foundation will be based on all on focus on planet regeneration. So we're very environmentally focused. Well, I also know that you you are doing some environmental awareness campaigns and education. Can you can you expand a little bit on that? Yeah, so so we look at everything holistically. So we're not like a, a marketplace because I never wanted to be a marketplace where it could just create uh, the demand for more waste. So in, in the holistic model is we need to educate the clients first. We've, we've got a series of webinars. Um, we're even partnering with one of the universities here in terms of their master's in supply chain um, and supply contract management to look at sort of ethical supply chains, for example. Um, so we've got a very stringent code of ethics because we want visibility in the supply chain to avoid corruption or bribery or kind of leading into more slave labour or anything like that. We really, integrity and ethics is very important to us. It's about educating from the start of the supply chain and we really try to partner with world-leading experts within circular economies, within supply chain management, so that we're always enabling best practice and in circular asset management as well. So our model isn't just, it's not transactional and it's not, okay, you want to sell an asset, here you go, list it on a marketplace. There's eBay, maybe Craigslist, but we're much more specialised in that, but there's other networks to enable that. So what we do is we really try to understand the client's requirements and then we're trying to work with them from the start to change that mindset through education, through consulting with them, through that partnership, long-term partnership to really understand what their capital expenditure requirements are, what their asset requirements are, and then what their life cycle of their assets are and how they plan to use it, what the life cycle is, what the total cost of ownership, what they plan on doing at the end of its life. Wow, you're really on a mission to change the world. The world's mindset, at least, about circular issues, circular economy and circular asset management. I am wondering, how long did it take you to set up Loop Global? We were planted back in 2015 when um, I set up, we set up the thing with the charity and the transport company. So the seeds were already planted then because despite what else was happening, at that time, that touched my heart the most. And I was like, no, there's something so much bigger. This, this is my life's calling. So I think, especially when you want to do something this big, it really needs to be a long-term view. It can't be really short-term. So this is how I've kind of committed everyone in the organisation. But myself is three years ago when I launched Loop, just before I launched Loop and I left the transport company, I sold everything I owned <laughs> and I pretty much had one suitcase and I just went, no, I'm going to devote my life savings and my life to this mission. And I pretty much just started travelling, living Airbnb, living out of my suitcase. And now I'm just in lockdown at the moment, but I'm just going month to month so that I could work on Loop and build that and so I was just focusing on traveling and getting the word out there and building these relationships and partnerships and that's how we've built it. How big is the team right now? 
Um, so we've got 13 people across three continents, but at the moment, because of the impact of the pandemic, there's seven of us active. So in different capacities, it's an ecosystem internally, but then, yeah, it's all about that organic reach. But it's, it's an amazing team as well. Incredible, incredible. I introduced you in the beginning and I said, we will learn about the hero's journey. And this is, I didn't lie, you see. <laughs> <laughs> to wrap up the interview, would you give the listeners one piece of advice related to sustainability and uh, circularity? I think um, you don't need to start big. You don't need, even though, you know, I, I constantly think of the big picture, like I think you can start small and look at the day-to-day -day efforts and the day-to-day -day actions. So there's so much amazing companies and organizations and so much innovation going out there at the moment and every single thing that's ever happened that's really impacted the world and any change has really just started with a small handful of people that really believe that they could make a difference and make a change so it could be something as small as you know and it's not that small but it's something within your local community like you know getting eradicating plastic straws or just and and really and looking at how you consume so we've got so much waste now and the majority even of the recycling programs, it doesn't even go to recycling because there's so much mixed. So really, when you think about how much we consume as individuals, we don't really need a lot. And when you don't actually, have, when you're not blindsided by advertising and thinking, we can actually live and do with a lot less than we do currently. And I think looking at the behaviours and in the mirror and just one person at a time, that's how systemic change and creating that mindset is going to be ingrained into the next generations to be able to create that better world for us all. Brilliant advice. This is something that I also apply to my life. Start small, start where you are, and step by step you will see the change evolving, expanding and happening just by itself per se. Another thing I, I really like, the quote of, I don't remember whom exactly, if you want to change the world, start with making your bed every morning, you know, discipline, consistency, and you will see that your life is becoming much better. Thank you so much for your time and for sharing these brilliant resources. I, for sharing your passion as well, uh, Noreen, I wish you all the best of luck with Loop, Loop Global with the expansion, with changing the mindsets of people around you and beyond. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us, Anna. And um, we look forward to keeping in touch and further collaborations. Totally. Thank you. Ciao, ciao. I appreciate you taking the time to join us today so much. I hope you loved listening to Noreen sharing her story, sharing her circular asset management business model and you took some insights and some inspiration to apply in your life maybe you're trying to work on your wardrobe maybe you see you assessed you have too many things and stuff at home and you would like to implement anything that has been mentioned and shared today you're more than welcome please let us know if you want to share your story tell us in the comments tell us in the private messages as always, if you have any questions for me or my guest, Noreen, don't hesitate to reach out on LinkedIn, on, on the website. We both are easily findable in the social networks. And uh, if you like the podcast, you know what to do. Subscribe, 
share on your social media for anyone who would want to check out the same information and learn same things as you just did. Leave a review on the platform you're listening on. I'm proud to say that as of today, we are present on 75 platforms, including those that allow sharing the reviews, such as Podchaser, Repod, Podyssey, and GoodPods. If you leave a review on our Podchaser page, I will even reply to you in person, as I always do. I always suggest some other related episodes out. That is my tradition almost. So today I'd like to suggest the episode on circular economy challenges with Cleona Howie Del Rio. It's number one popular on this podcast. So circular economy challenges with Cleona Howie Del Rio from Climate Kick and sustainable business models with Anna Itkin. So these are the two that I can suggest you straight away. Another one is an episode called Conscious Capitalism, Culture and Leadership with Johanna Lyman. I guess that's it. If you find anything that looks at you on the podcast directory, please give it a listen. Uh, Let us know what you think. And finally, yeah, reach out on LinkedIn. Challenge me with your questions, with the topics you would like to me to cover in the future. Or maybe you want to nominate yourself as a guest. That is always welcome. Or nominate someone as a guest. I would also love to say that now we have a YouTube channel where most of our conversations are sitting in the form of a video. So you can even meet our guests. We have a Facebook group, LinkedIn page where we all can engage, comment, and exchange ideas. So join in. This was Sustainability Explored, episode number 61, and me, your host, Anna Chashina. Thank you again for listening, for being with us today and always, and until next time, next Thursday. Take care. Stay sustainable. Bye-bye. a little announcement to make. Running this podcast is one of the biggest joys of my life. As much as I love talking to my guests, I also love to get the listeners' messages and communicate with all of you. Many of you asked me over the course of this year whether I could give you some career advice in the field of sustainability, so I'd like to offer a free, up to two hours long career consultation to anyone who leaves this podcast a review on iTunes or Apple Podcast until the end of 2020. All you'll have to do is step one, leave a review for Sustainability Explored on iTunes and step two, book a call with me on my website annachashina.com. Starting 2021 with clear career goals might be the best present I can give you.